can't preach after that one, you can't preach. <laughs> um, I love those words. Don't you love those words? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Um, we all should have a testimony about what Jesus means to us, what Jesus can do for others, and that none of us are beyond his reach. Isn't that wonderful message, good news for us today as we come to gather and worship? So thank you for uh, the special music. It always touches me. I don't know that I heard that song many times, but uh, I'm open to hear it again and again because it really touches who I am. I want to read this morning from an interesting passage of Scripture in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6, and it actually goes a little further than that, but I think we get the message by reading six verses of this. I entitled the message, The Non-Committed's Favorite Bible Passage. You got to think about that for a minute. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their full reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, you have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. May God bless the reading and hearing and understanding of His precious and holy Word. The non-committed's favorite Bible passage. I, I read that passage and I thought, uh, how many times in ministry has somebody alluded to this passage of Scripture who is not in the church? who is on the outskirts of the church, who wants to have something to say about what's going on in the church. And so that's the reason I entitled it that way. There was a gentleman in church in which I pastored once who rarely ever came to church, but I would go by occasionally and see him at his home and visit with him, and he was always comical and funny and entertaining. And usually had an element of truth in his humor. You know what I'm talking about? And when we got to talking about church, he would usually always bring up the subject of hypocrites to me. He asked oftentimes what the hypocriters, as he would call it, were doing at the church. As to put me back from inviting him to come and be a part of that experience. And I'd often see him at the country store, and he always greeted me by saying, Hey, preacher, how you doing? How's those hypocrites doing at the church? And everybody in the store would usually laugh. <laughs> he would usually smile and move on. And he was saying, I think, I'm just glad 
that I'm not like them. The non-committed favorites Bible passage. It's difficult to find anyone who has a kind word to say about hypocrites, isn't it? Nobody likes hypocrites. No one wants to stand around and be with those that are called hypocrites. Hypocrites are by definition deceptive, two-faced, treacherous if discovered. We think about hypocritical politicians who sometimes are defeated in the polls. Hypocritical friends who we drop off of our list as friends at some point. And hypocritical leaders who lose uh, the trusting ears of the congregation uh, as we announce that. It may well be in our age, particularly, that we are tough on hypocrisy. You know, in some ways, it may be that one remaining public sin. We can tolerate embezzlement, infidelity, brawling, and addiction in our public figures, but pretense and hypocrisy, we just don't want to tolerate that. Leaders of all kinds have committed sins that were unbecoming to them, to God, and maybe even to family. In short, they have committed the unpardonable sin, the sin against the human spirit, the sin of trying to pull an emotional fast one, the sin of, of hypocrisy. Father, do not forgive them, for they know full well what they're doing. Hypocrites are convenient villains for our challenging days. And they can get us all fired up and angry and outraged. In a therapeutic climate where people clamor to appear on Jerry Springer to share their deepest and darkest secrets of their past in front of an audience of perfect strangers... Hypocrites, seen by contrast, emotionally stunted. They are guarded and deceptive. They put on faults and pretty faces, hiding their true selves behind the cloak of some pseudo-respectability. Indeed, hypocrite was originally a term that they used in the theater, describing actors who were able to dress up and conceal who they truly were, their real countenance. As a matter of fact, uh, even as today, you would probably not recognize them on the street after looking at them in the theater. But hypocrites conceal sadness with a smile. They say that they are happy when they really are not. They work within our own presence uh, to help you to understand that they're somebody that they're really not. As a matter of fact, we would rather have a root canal than to truly be present sometimes with others. They give money to charities that they truly don't support. They make speeches for causes that they don't care about. And they laugh at jokes that they don't find to be really funny. In short, hypocrites wear those masks pretending to be who they are not. You know anybody like that? Well, guess what? All of us fall into that category. 
You may remember the movie that came out some years ago called Catch Me If You Can. Seen it a couple times. It's an interesting movie, isn't it? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays an individual by the name of Frank Bagnell Jr., who lived a wild and crazy life as a doctor, an airline pilot, and a banker, an investor, an attorney, and a celebrity. You see, the irony behind the story was that he wasn't any of these people in reality. He intentionally was a fake and a fraud and a pretender, and he did it really, really well. He realized early in life that he had this uncanny gift to convince people that he was somebody just through the way that he came across with his confidence and his acting ability. A true story. He turned his life into a game and made a game uh, out of living life. He was able to fool people time and time again. He helped perform surgery in an operating room. He conned banks out of thousands of dollars. He flew an airplane as a pilot. And he went places and met people he never imagined he could and we probably never will. The only problem was, all that was a show. And all that was a sham. The FBI finally caught him and ended these years of him uh, putting on this false pretense. And he went to federal prison over it. He had so much talent, but he wasted it pretending to be something that he was not. Call it whatever you want. Putting up a front, wearing a mask, playing pretend, putting on a show. But the Bible says here in this passage and in other places that it's hypocrisy. What God wants you to do is just simply to be who you are. Now, that's not any excuse for us not being the very best who you are that we can be. That's not an excuse for saying, well, you know, I just do it that way and that's the way I've always been. That's not good enough in God's eyes. He wants us to improve and He wants us to improve daily and He wants us to become more like Him as we are created in His image. He wants us to be exactly like Him if it's possible. The specific problem with religious hypocrites is that they're not only holier than thou, but they're holier than themselves. They fake devotion. It's mostly counterfeit. In fact, people with a sharp eye for hypocrisy would consider those who stay at home on Sunday as actually more superior than those hypocrites who drag themselves out of bed and come to morning worship in Sunday school. See, at least they aren't wearing a pious mask and living a lie, they would say. If we want to be hard on hypocrites, especially religious hypocrites, we seem to have a natural ally, don't we, in Jesus. Whenever he got a card-carrying hypocrite in his sights, he pulled that trigger, didn't he? And he aimed quickly at them. With sometimes humor, Jesus mocked the hypocrites as the clowns of their own floral show. 
as Jesus described them, hypocrites, they were the trumpeter wanting to play, hey, look at me, when they pull out their offering envelopes, or they're involved in a prayer meeting, or we find they have that solemn look on their face when they are in public view. In short, they parade their deeds with a flourish before the admiring eye of others. And what they want, and that's what they get, indeed, the problem is the adoration of the crowd around them to clap and to applaud. We find in this passage of Scripture it says, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. So Jesus does not tolerate the hypocrites, and neither do we. So much for hypocrisy. But that's not the end of the story. I want you to hear this piece. There's something else to consider. It's easy for those on the sideline and for us to criticize those who are in the game. Do you hear what I'm saying? They are doing very little or nothing at all. But before we assume that Jesus fully shares our views on hypocrites, we should look at it again and more closely at what he says. To be sure, the hypocrites that Jesus takes on are people who are somehow missing the boat, religiously speaking, in their almsgiving, in their praying, and even in their fasting. But that is not to say that there is nothing to them. Indeed, it must be acknowledged that these people give of their money to the poor and they pray. When it, uh, he, we find uh, somebody looking at this whole thing of being hypocrites, Jesus is not talking about who, people in which we thumb our noses up at the synagogue or the church. He's talking about those who show up for worship and sometimes even sit passively on their hands. To the contrary, Jesus is talking about people of every faith community, desperately, uh, those people that we need, people who actually are beginning to put their faith into practice. They are people of charity and people of prayer and people of action They are numbered among those who give to the church, who volunteer for various mission and ministry projects within and outside of the church. In some order, we find Jesus' take on hypocrites was one in which he says, I want and need you to participate in my kingdom's work. Hypocrites. They may have doubts and questions about what they teach, In church, but listen to me, they're able to teach. Hypocrites may demand brass plaques to be marked uh, as a result of their contributions, but at least they do give. Hypocrites may use flowery, sweet, pious language when they pray for the sick and those who are hurting and lonely, but hear me, they pray. Hypocrites may let it out loudly be known that they volunteer for a week at Habitat for Humanity, but they do build houses for the homeless, don't they? So before we run over top of these people that are already serving the Lord, let's give them some well-deserved praise. Indeed, Jesus does not attack religious hypocrites because they are so ruthlessly 
opposed to the gospel truth, but rather because they have just barely missed it. Jesus says harsh things about the hypocrites, not because they are so far away from the kingdom of God, but because they are so remarkably close and yet cannot see what their true destination should be. The praying, the giving, the fasting of Jesus' day, you see, uh, were not headed in the wrong direction, but they were uh, not exactly on the right path totally. You see, they only in part were able to see what Jesus could see for them. He saw their potentiality. In other words, they were willing to settle for the minimum wage of spirituality when they were so near, just around the bend from finding it all. In fact, lies the real treasure that we all seek, the affirmation and the intimacy of God. And that's what Jesus wanted for the hypocrites the religious leaders of the day, and that's what He wants for us too. That we have a true and meaningful and warm relationship, that it's a growing relationship, that we're not uh, afraid to be able to share that in a world in which we live, and it's a growing faith that we have. It's not the kind of attention that we really need sometimes when we find ourselves in the spotlight. For hypocrites are like some children whose behavior problems uh, they have in school. Having lost hope of being loved and cared for at home, they become show-offs in the classroom, creating spectacles of themselves and an amusement for others. Having despaired at the parental blessing, they settle for the momentary reward of that classroom spotlight. You know what I'm talking about. It's not the kind of attention that they really need, but it's the attention that they're getting. Just so hypocrites have lost sight of the blessing of the divine parent they have at home, they lost sight of God who sees in the darkest secret moments, who cherishes in the divine heart, who graciously rewards beyond measure. Therefore, we are condemned to parade around in front of our only audience left to impress other people. Jesus' harsh reprimand of hypocrisy then is intended, listen to me, to reclaim, not to destroy. Indeed, Jesus' scolding words are not an attempt to have us in uh, a relationship that is dormant and stagnant, but rather growing and intimate with Him. Underneath the reproach is the promise that God desires to draw us in in His mercy and His redemption. Before any of us get on our high horse and anoint ourselves as better than others, dare we look into the mirror at some point and see who we may be. Pretenders, and yes, we hate to admit it, a hypocrite. None of us is so worthy as not to merit God's favor. But our religion is a mask that we often hide behind. 
But God is gracious and kind and redemptive in His giving of us and even in our pretense. Perhaps then Jesus reprimands the hypocrite only as a sharply pointed rebuke that can poke a hole in the hypocrite's facade, allowing just enough light of the gospel to stream in through the news that, hey, we belong to him. So he, he calls us. He reminds us that we're children of God. Maybe sometimes, unlike us, he doesn't criticize so that we lift ourselves up. He doesn't criticize so that we make other people look bad. Jesus is criticizing for redemptive purposes to draw people back to him and saying, hey, you still have time to get it and get it right. When the applause of the admiring crowd dies out and the theater it stands dark and empty, and all the pretenders have been removed and the mask is taken off. And we're there on the stage by ourselves. I want you to hear this morning, God still is there. The God who knows our conduct grades and how we act truly, not just what other people may think or maybe what people can see, or the facade that we may put on, but God really knows who we are. He knows the deepest parts of our heart and our very soul, and they're exposed with Him. The God who nevertheless sees us in secret. The God who looks behind the mask to find the child yearning to come home again. And the God who beckons us to come just as we are, and He accepts us, He invites us, He welcomes us, He sees potentiality in us. So before we take this passage of Scripture and start applying it to others, we take this passage of Scripture and we apply it to ourselves, first of all. And secondly, we're careful how we apply it to other people. For we are not responsible for others, are we? We're responsible for sharing the message of Christ in word and in deed. But we are to magnify, exemplify, show forth who Christ is in our life that others may know what it means to be a person of faith. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for being here today. An interesting passage of Scripture, isn't it? And uh, maybe I didn't go the places you thought I was going to go with that passage. But I think it's been interesting in my many years of ministry just hearing about that. And I hope that all of us uh, understand that Jesus is calling us all back 
to reconciliation into a wonderful, intimate, and growing relationship with him. Would you please stand as we close in a word of prayer? Delighted that you are here when we know that uh, many are gone. We're glad those who are gone can listen uh, by live stream and also by uh, video delay. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that you know who we are, uh, that we don't hide anything from you. And Lord, when you expose who we are, that you're calling us into a deeper, intimate relationship with you. Help each of us to be gentle and kind and loving. And yet help us to be diligent in trying to improve who we are in relationships with you and one another. Lord, we will reach that holy land that we call heaven one day because of how we have trusted and relied upon you. Go with us and bless us and help us to be a blessing to others. For it's in the precious name of Christ our Lord we make this prayer. Amen. Good morning.